Amen. All right. How many of you guys like 20 questions? How many of you guys even remember the 20 question show or game or whatever? Let me ask that 20 times. Maybe you'll get it. But no, no, let's get on. We've got to get moving. Uh, but see if you can guess who this is. You guys ready? <clears throat> on the evening of April 20th, 1889. Wasn't that an awesome year? Don't raise your hand. But anyway, so uh, 1889. Uh, a boy was born in a small town in Austria. And he was the son of a customs official and his third wife named Clara. And initial, initially, his father had taken his mother's name, Schickelgruber. But he changed it in 1876, which I think is obvious because Trice fell in that in kindergarten. Schickelgruber. Anyway, uh, but believe it or not, this young boy, uh, he regularly attended church services. He even sang in the choir, okay? And although he grew up uh, with a poor record at school and he left before he even completed, he still had an ambition to become an artist or maybe an architect. Uh, so to fulfill his dream, he moved to Vienna in 1909, uh, where the Academy of Arts was located. But to his own surprise, he failed to get admission, and within a year, he was living in homeless shelters and eating at charity soup kitchens. And so from here, he went to Munich and volunteered for service in the army in World War I that started in 1914. And it was here that he was twice decorated for bravery, and he rose to the rank of a corporal. Then in 1920, he joined a workers' party and soon became the leader, mostly because of his powerful speaking ability. And by 1932, his party had become the strongest party, so that by 1934, <clears throat> this man had total control of his country. But his desire for domination did not stop there. In 1939, he invaded Poland, which triggered World War II. And everything just seemed to be going his way until December 1941, when he assumed personal command of war strategy, which quickly led to disaster. By July 1944, the military situation was so desperate that a group of his own people tried to assassinate him, but they failed. And even though the war at this point was completely hopelessly lost by early 1945, this man still insisted that his people fight to the death. But shortly thereafter, he supposedly committed suicide in an underground bunker, leaving behind a legacy of one of the most dreadful tyrannies of modern uh, times, more than 11 million people being killed. Listen, 6 million of those uh, were killed in gas chambers. And listen, here's the point. They were exterminated not just for who they were, but for what they were. And of course, I'm talking about the infamous Adolf Hitler. That's right, you guys can see the picture here. I had to help you out there. But anyway, but uh, uh, in bringing up Adolf Hitler, uh, how many guys have ever heard of him? All three of you, praise God for your participation tonight. Uh, but yeah, we've all heard of Adolf Hitler, of course, and rightly so, okay, for the atrocities that he's done. But my point is this, we know about Adolf Hitler. Most of us, obviously, I would assume, know that he slaughtered millions and millions of people, uh, six million Jews alone. He also killed seven million Christians, by the way. You don't usually hear much about that. Okay, uh, and believe it or not, uh, what we usually don't know is the reason why he did this. Hitler, number one, was involved in the occult, and that's for a whole other topic. Okay, but the reason why Hitler murdered so many Jewish people uh, was because he believed in evolution. He was not only an occultist, he was an evolutionist. You see, if Hitler was going to create his master race, remember the Aryan race? Okay, he first had to get rid of the lower races. And most people don't realize that the reason why he was going after the Jews first was because they were last on his evolutionary scale to create his master race, okay? Let's take a look at what's been called Hitler's hit list. And uh, this is the reason why he was slaughtering the Jewish people. First of all, according to him, he believed that the Nordic people, uh, the blonde hair, blue eyes, were close to pure Aryan, you know, his master's superior race, right? The best ones on the planet. Uh, below them were the Germanic people, who he believed were predominantly Aryan. 
They were brown hair, blue-eyed, not quite as good. Then you had the Mediterraneans, and they were slight Aryan, according to Hitler. Then you had the Slavic people. Uh, he believed they were half Aryan, half ape. Okay, they had this degenerate bone structure, he believed. Uh, then the Oriental people down on the list, he felt they were slight ape. And then the black African people, he believed were predominantly ape. Now in the 30s when they had the Olympics over there, uh, can anybody guess the name of the guy who uh, whooped uh, Hitler's Germans? And you wonder why he stormed out? Because according to his evolutionary hit list, how could that quote, according to Hitler, ape, have done that to my Aryans, right? And he was absolutely upset about that. Uh, and then, of course, the last one on his list were who? The Jewish people. According to Hitler and his beliefs, his evolutionary mindset, he believed that the Jewish people were close to pure ape. And they had a fiendish skull. Now, the point with this is, believe it or not, if somehow he could have pulled that off, see, we think that somehow he would have stopped there. No, you need to understand his master plan with his master race. If somehow he could have won and he would have pulled off exterminating all the Jews, guess who was next? The black Africans he was going to go after, then the Orientals and on up, until he was left with his master race. Okay, And the reason why I bring that up is because what you believe determines how you behave. And most people don't realize that evolution is a dangerous belief system. It's not just based on a bunch of hoaxes, as we've been seeing, and a bunch of lies, but it does lead and gives the justification for holocausts. And folks, it's being used against you and I today, this same dangerous belief called evolution. And that's why we're going to continue our study, the witness of creation. And as you know, what we're doing is we're taking a look at the different evidences that God's left behind for us to show us, hello, he's not just real, but we really can have a relationship with him through Jesus. Anybody glad about that? Praise God, okay? And so far, we've seen that first evidence he gave us was the evidence of an intelligent creation. Ten weeks on intelligent design. Uh, we were designed by God. It's his handiwork all over the place from the telescope to the microscope. The next one we saw was the evidence of a young creation. We have not been here for millions and billions of years. That's a lie. And we looked at the scientific data, their supposed mechanisms, and they don't work. Shocker. Okay, uh, but then we saw the last couple times, if you've been here, is the third evidence was an evidence of a special creation. Now, this is great news, okay? If you stick with the Bible, this is awesome. This is worth getting out of bed for every day. Okay, we saw that the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us, okay, that the, we have a special existence, that we're a special creation created by a special God for a special purpose to have a special, unique relationship with Him, unlike the rest of creation. That's awesome, right? Now, the problem is that's not what evolution says. They say, hey, here's why you need to get out of bed and be motivated to be that productive citizen. Here's what life's all about. You are nothing, you came from nothing, and you have no future. And you wonder why people sleep in and skip work, okay? Excuse me, it's a hopeless message, okay? As we saw, it's not just a hopeless message. It's all based on hoaxes, okay? It'd be one thing if it's true and we're forced into that, but it's not. It's a bunch of baloney. And so we took a look at the last time at the supposed animal evolution. We took a look at their two best examples as, oh, no, we know that animals and life has evolved with the horse and whale evolution, if you remember that. And talk about somebody telling a whale of a tale, it's a bunch of baloney. And we looked at the facts, the existence problem, the ancient problem, the genetic problem, and all the other problems you could see there, showed us, folks, that this thing is absolutely bankrupt. And the common sense response is this, well, wait a second, this is all a pack of lies. And I would think logically, at some point, if all you have is lies to support your theory, maybe it's time to get a new theory. Why would you deliberately want to lie to kids and adults? Unless, of course, you're going to use this evolutionary mindset to do another holocaust in the future and trick people into thinking that you have the right 
to take their life, like Hitler did. Folks, it's all being repeated again today, okay? But you might be thinking, well, wait a second, okay, so maybe this uh, eight-man evolution we saw was a bunch of baloney. Maybe this gradual animal evolution and their best examples with the whale and the horse is a bunch of baloney. But what about those other mechanisms? They say, oh no, oh no, Mara, we know that we slowly evolved over millions and billions of years uh, because you've heard of things like natural selection, right? And how many of you guys heard that? It is all over the place. They say it everywhere. It's in textbooks, in schools, history channel, all that kind of stuff. It's natural selection. We know evolution's happened because of natural selection. Okay, well, is it true? No, we're going to see that. But let's do our homework, and let's first look, according to the Bible, where in the world did animals come from? Okay, and who is responsible for it? Was it natural selection, or was it God? How many guys discerning tonight would say, it's probably God? Hey, easy answer, okay? But open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. Let's take a look at what the Bible says. Where did animals come from? Okay, and then we'll take a look at the other camp. We'll be fair, and we'll deal with the facts. Genesis chapter 6, okay? If you find the book of Psalms, what do you do? Left, right, you're right about in the middle. And uh, so take your pick. And uh, Genesis chapter 6, wow, what a neat text here. This, of course, is talking about uh, the, uh, the flood and why God did it. And uh, boy, is it being repeated today. Because remember, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. So you take a look at what was going on in the pre-flood society uh, to know that it's getting close for Jesus' return. And we're certainly going to see that with the level of wickedness. Anybody notice that the world's getting a little wicked lately? Yeah, it's being repeated. Genesis chapter 6. Let's take a look at verse 1. It says this. Now, when men began to increase in number on the earth... And daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married uh, any of them they chose. Uh, then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal, and his days will be 120 years. Now, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become. Listen how bad it was. And that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Now, does that sound like today or what? Okay. Think about all the evil. That's all about it is. It's everywhere, folks. It's being repeated today. All right. Let's continue on. All evil all the time. Okay. The Lord was grieved that who made? He made man on the earth. And his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wipe mankind whom who created? I, God created from the face of the earth. Men and who? Animals God created and the creatures that move along the ground. The birds of the air. For I am grieved, God says, that I have made them. But Noah uh, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, how many guys would say at that point, that was your greatest day of celebration, that I, you were born in the family of Noah? Yeah, yeah, good, a good thing there. Okay, but according to our text, we see that out of judgment, out of grief, over mankind's wickedness, okay, God not only caused a literal worldwide flood, okay, and wiped out the planet except for eight people, Noah's family on the ark, okay, but he did it on who? On the people and the animals that he himself literally made, right? Once again, even in this account of the Genesis flood, God reiterates again in the book of Genesis that he is the one who is responsible for all of creation, men and animals, etc., etc. Okay. Now, the problem again is what does evolution teach? Okay. Do they say that God is the one who made all of life and therefore he has the right to judge it if he wants? Okay. It's kind of like the Bill Cosby 
of philosophy, apparently. Have you ever seen that skit where he's talking about his kids and they're getting unruly? And so he says to his kids, he says, hey, listen, I brought you into this world. You saw it. I can take you out. Okay. And that's what God is. God is the one, the Bible says, who created all life. So therefore, he's got the ability to take it out if he wants, right? But that's not what evolution says. Evolution says, no, 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 no. It wasn't God who gave us life. It was this process called natural selection. Okay. So let's take a look at this process. Let's, you know, not just disagree because the Bible says something different. Let's do our homework and take a look at how this process, natural selection, is supposed to work. Okay, let's take a look uh, at that. First of all, natural selection, it's also known as survival of the fittest. Okay, now Hitler believed in this. We'll see this towards the end, big time. This is a major justification for him. Survival of the fittest, it was popularized by, of course, Charles Darwin. And he said it was a major driving force for evolutionary change. Okay, but what's interesting is Darwin himself didn't actually come up with this idea. He actually got it from this guy, Alfred Wallace, who is a spiritualist and a Marxist, and he said the idea of survival of the fittest came to him while suffering from a fever in Southeast Asia. Now, how many guys would say that that's probably not the best place to get inspiration? <laughs> I can't think straight. I got a fever. Ooh, hey, evolution. Right? <laughs> that's actually where it came from. Can you believe that? Afterwards, Wallace wrote back to England saying that the idea did come to him as inspiration, okay? And it must be the cause of evolution, right? Hey, by the way, that means you guys better watch out for fevers because it's going to birth false teaching. So don't, don't write anything down. It's just visions and fever. And, but anyway, so after that, Charles Darwin actually stole the idea. Oops, liar, liar, pants on fire. He stole the idea from this guy and he published it as his own. Okay, but anyway, here's how this feverish idea, Tom, is supposed to work. Those creatures were, who are the best suited for their environment, that is the strongest ones, okay, like this muscle-bound squirrel there. Look at that guy. That squirrel's going to live, man. He's going to make it through the storm. But anyway, I uh, actually kind of saw this around John's house. You guys remember John Gibson, the picture we showed him working out, being buff? Right. Well, I think he's got nature uh, going uh, on with everybody's working out. In fact, you go around the corner of John's house, he's even got his dog working out. You know, so he's pumping iron there. In fact, I even heard that he was taking his granddaughters to the zoo, Tom. And next thing you know, after John was there, the monkey started pumping iron. You know, so everybody's working out there. And the giraffes, man, they're ripped. Look at them, right? So these guys are really going at it. Either that, they're eating, eating chicken, they're swelling up, Tom, in the heat. But let's move on. Anyway, here's how this feverish idea is supposed to work, okay? Uh, the strongest, uh, the, the, the ones that are the best fitted for the environment, okay, according to this, uh, is, is more likely to survive and leave behind descendants, right? Right? And, and, and so hence you have the survival of the fittest, the strongest ones, right? Now, uh, you see, uh, you thought I was kidding about John. He's been working out. Uh, therefore, these stronger survivors get to pass on their stronger genes to future generations, okay? So you've got to be buff, you've got to be tough, and somehow you can survive this evolution thing, all right? Now, the, the weaker ones, you can see... Oh, Joey, dude, put the shirt on there. <laughs> dude, there's kids in here. Dude, that's gross. Well, the less fitted ones, unlike John, as you can see with Joey there... Uh, <laughs> Give it up for Joey. Yeah. Woo. Did you really think it was going to be a positive one? Did you really think that? <laughs> it makes a point. You know, stronger, weaker. All right, anyway, but he, you can see he's trying to pump iron, uh, but it ain't working. Uh, but anyway, but the less fitted, like Joey, obviously are not going to survive very well, okay? And they're going to lose the struggle. So that's, that's the issue. So because of this, the less fitted ones, like Joey, they, are, they disappear, right? 
So strong, buff, tough, the strongest, the fittest, they survive, go on to the next generation. The weak ones like Joey, no matter what he does, uh, they're just, they're doomed. Okay, that's how it believes. Now, so Darwin believed that it was this natural selecting process of these stronger survivors, okay, that gave rise to totally new traits. And somehow this creates new creatures. Okay, according to him. In fact, so much so was this stolen idea popularized that this guy, uh, Sir Julian Huxley, stated, quote, listen to this. He puts it all on this thing. He says, so far as we know, natural selection is the only effective agency of evolution. Now, he's right. He's putting a lot on the line there, right? So this thing better be true because they're saying this is it. This is the only one that we're 100% sure. And how many guys would say that uh, it's going to come crashing down? Folks, this is a big, fat lie. Okay, God, we not only disagree with this, folks, just because the Bible says something different, okay? Uh, but when we're going to be done here, I think you're going to see that we disagree with it because this is a, another a lie. Natural selection is a lie, folks. Turn to somebody and say, liar, liar, pants on fire. This is what this thing is, folks. This whole thing is absolutely baloney. As Christians, again, I belabor this point, folks. As we get equipped, we don't just disagree with evolution because the Bible says something different. We've done our homework, we're doing our homework, and we're looking even at scientific data that says, no, you'd have to be a fool to believe uh, in this stuff, okay? And the first way that we know that natural selection is a lie, folks, is because the process doesn't even work. Okay, let's take a look at this, this whole belief system. Let's examine it. You know, the strongest survive, the weaker die off, and somehow this dichotomy produces new creatures, right? Let's take a look at the process, and you tell me, uh, in a perfect scenario, if it would ever produce any new kind of creature. It can't. It's ridiculous. Let's take a look at that, okay? Uh, the, the very idea of survival of the fittest means that creatures who are not fit, like Joey or this two-headed turtle, uh, unfortunately... Uh, all right, dude, I feel bad. I'll give you a piece of gum. Uh, uh, who are not fit uh, are too far from the norm, and what happens? They're eliminated, right? Because they're weaker. They don't, they're not strong enough. They're, they're aberrant, right? So that's what this, this whole idea believes, okay? But stop and think about that. Wait a second. This means that it eliminates all extremes and therefore eliminates any hope for evolution to take place, right? I mean, think about the process, folks. It doesn't even work. It actually guarantees that a species will keep the original pattern because if something goes off the pattern, then it dies out. So how's that going to produce something different? The whole thing right there, we could stop. It doesn't even work. Okay, but let's continue on. And how many guys would say that two-headed turtles, other people who are weaklings, like that one picture of that other guy who I won't mention after I gave some gum and I feel sorry for, uh, have no babies, right? And so if you're going to die out and get eliminated, you can't produce nothing. It's crazy, okay? But let's continue on. We not only know that the whole premise, if you just slow down, stop and think about it, doesn't work because by definition, it gets rid of all extremes, supposedly. But the DNA code, folks, in fact, the DNA law guarantees that nothing is ever going to evolve. Uh, the DNA code acts like a wall or barrier that prohibits evolution from taking place, and they know this, okay? Uh, this is because the DNA code causes, there's no choice in this, it causes, it's from God, a creature to be born like its parents. In fact, it's known, check it out, it's called the Mendelian Laws of Heredity. You cannot produce another kind of creature. You can have a variation, but you're not going to have another kind just pop out. It's DNA, absolute, it's a law. It's, it's crazy. Now, ladies, this is easily demonstrated, okay? How many ladies glad that when you gave birth, uh, you did not give birth to a cat? 
Now, some of you cat lovers were a little slow and raised your hand up there. Your kids are awesome, right? No, you're a human. You give birth to a human. That's just the way it's going to be. I don't care if you wanted a cat. <laughs> it ain't going to happen, right? You're only going to give birth to a baby. That's what he's talking about here. Locks it in. That's all you're ever going to get, right? Uh, how many got glad that you didn't give birth to a lizard? Yeah, more hands went up. Although I tell you what, and it's, no, he's over there. Billy, when he was born there, I was there for both kids. I'm still scarred by that. Wow, and I just watched. And so, anyway, so when the head was coming out, his head was coming out, it was all kind of crinkled up there. And for, for a moment, I thought, man, is that a lizard? <laughs> it was all wrinkly looking. And I took a sigh of relief and about five minutes later. But anyway, uh, but no, you're, you're never going to give birth to a lizard. And that's what he's talking about. This is a DNA law. You, you're never going to produce something other than your kind, okay? Now, DNA will allow for variations. You're gonna, you might have a boy. You might have a girl. You might have blue eyes. You might have brown eyes. But you're never going to get a cat or a lizard. It's a, it's a law. The DNA code locks each species into a certain pattern, and you cannot escape. So you can draw all the pictures you want, make all the animations you want, control the media, and repeat it loud enough, long enough, and often enough like Hitler... And that's the only reason why people believe it, okay? Now, you can have variations, different sizes, different colors, different cats. That actually is a 33-pound cat. I know, it's sad. Because, folks, here's the public service announcement tonight. This is your cat. This is your cat on chicken. Moment of silence. Let's move on. Uh, but you're never going to get that. You'll get a big cat, small cat, different cat, black cat, white cat, black and white cat, but you're never going to get a whale. Cats aren't, it's just not going to happen, okay? Now, you also got the problem with limitations when it comes to natural selection. Even if it could provide variations within a creature, uh, it, it, you still got a limitation, okay? You're never going to go beyond certain boundaries, okay? For instance, farmers have been trying for years and years to breed bigger pigs, right? And they've actually, if you've done some of the research, they've, they've gotten longer and stuff, but there's certain limitations. I don't care what they do, how long they do this, folks, are they ever going to get a pig the size of a house? Hey, wouldn't it be cool? Lifetime supply of bacon. You can have bacon wrapped bacon as much as you want with bacon bits on top and bacon pop. You guys seen the bacon pop? It's actually out there. I'm not making it up. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, some insects have actually become resistant to pesticides, but will they ever become resistant to a hammer? No. There's built-in limitations. It only goes so far. Okay. Therefore, these built-in limitations ensure that the creature stays the same kind. You're not going to hop out of that boundary. Okay. It's ridiculous. Then, it's, remember, it's natural selection. You select this, and this selection of this stronger thing somehow produced this other thing, and these weaker selected, weaker. All right, well, let's, let's, let's do, a, do our own selection process. Let's put this to the test with selecting or breeding dog, right? We should be able to produce another kind of animal, according to this belief system, if it's true, you be the judge. There's hundreds of different kind of dogs in the world right now, and uh, you got the Akita, the Boxer, the Dachshund. Moment of silence. Uh, the Greyhound, the Mastiff, the Pekingese, the St. Bernard, the Whippet, and the Terrier, just to name a few. Now, the question is, how long would it take to selectively breed those different kind of dogs before they ever turn into a dolphin? And you used all 200 of them. And you did it over 200 years. How about 2,000 years? How about 2 million years? How long would it take for selective breeding of dogs to produce a dolphin? It can't be done. It won't ever be done. But that's the whole process of natural selection that's supposed to produce a new kind of creature? It's ridiculous, folks. The answer is never. I don't care what you do, you can create different dogs. That's why we got awesome wiener dogs and other kind of dogs. But it's because of breeding. But guess what? It's still a dog. 
Might be a freaky dog, might be a small dog, big dog, black dog, a long dog, short dog. Hot dog, that's a different kind of dog, Joy. All right, I'll give you another piece of gum. All right, anyway, and, uh, but all you're ever going to get is a dog, right? So that's putting it to it. But let me give you another example. Now, as you can see here, happy cows produce happy people. And you know that could be on a t-shirt. But anyway, let's try another one, right? Maybe that's just dogs. Maybe it just won't work with dogs. We'll try another creature. How about cattle, right? There's over about 200 different breeds of cattle in the world, right? You got the Angus, the Belt of Galloway, the Charlet, the Guernsey, the Hereford, the Holstein, the Jersey, the Longhorn, the Cemental. I get really sentimental on that one. I mean, he's just, yeah. Anyway, so the question is, well, let's put it to the test. Natural selection, select, right? How long would it take to breed those cattle, all, all 200 of them? Take your pick, mix and match all you want before it ever turned into a chicken. Almost makes you want to wash your tongue out for even saying it, doesn't it? Because you can see, once again, folks, that's not a Photoshop doctored photo. That's a real chicken with horns. Obviously, it's a devil chicken. So the reason why it's never going to produce a chicken from a cow, of course, because that would be evil, number one, but because scientifically we know that breeding cattle is only going to produce what? Cattle. You're never going to get a chicken, folks. So open up a can of duh, and natural selection cannot produce any kind of new creature. Right? That's the whole premise of the belief system. It cannot even do, if you slow down, stop and think about it, examine it, wait a second. It can't even do what it's supposed to do on the whole premise, okay? It doesn't even work, okay? But again, uh, it's not just that you and I disagree with natural selection because the Bible says something different, okay? We disagree because their belief system they are the ones, folks, who are actually not scientific. Like this guy says, let's take a look at this. You hear this one a lot. Science has proven evolution, therefore evolution is true. Since evolution is true and Christians don't believe it, then Christians don't believe science and they aren't rational people. Really, let's put that claim to the test. First off, evolution in the sense that things change is evident. No rational person disputes that. Therefore, rational Christians believe it. We can observe change, but evolution in the sense that life came from non-life and then that life began to randomly generate new genetic information and over time it eventually produced humans is something entirely different and something that quite honestly doesn't hold up against science. In other words, evolution in the sense of molecules to man is not scientifically plausible and therefore should not be viewed as scientific fact. Quite honestly, it is in great opposition to science, that is, observational science, the kind of science we can test and repeat and use our five senses to understand. Science demonstrates that over time, Living organisms lose genetic information. They don't gain it. That same science demonstrates that life doesn't arise from non-life. Hey, Follow along from? if you would. Fact one, there is no known observable process by which new genetic information can be added to an organism's genetic code. None. That pretty much refutes evolution right away because there's no way to go from a fish to an amphibian without adding new information, right? If living organisms cannot produce new genetic information, how can anything gradually change into something of higher intelligence or form or complexity? That is, how can anything evolve from an amoeba to a man without adding new genetic information? The answer, of course, is that it can't. Plain and simple. Now, some have speculated and they have imagined all kinds of things and they brought in artists to produce creative renderings based on guesses and they have been successful in telling a very convincing story that humans evolved from ape-like creatures, but those are just drawings, people. They're just stories. But what we really observe is humans are humans, 
and apes are apes. So molecules to man evolution doesn't really make scientific sense. Yet we are all here, and life is all around us in various forms. Although evolution cannot account for this, the Bible can. The Bible reveals that the all-powerful, all-knowing, supernatural God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing, and all life according to its kinds, that is, each with its own set of genetic information. So, again, what the Bible reveals makes sense of what we see and understand. Evolution does not. Enough said. So are we, as the critic would say, being unscientific? Are we being belligerent? No, we're looking at not just what the Bible says, we're taking a look at what you believe, we're examining it, even scientifically, and the science is leading us towards the scripture and away from that. In fact, it's the people who believe in that and who push that are the ones who are being unscientific. Do you see the dichotomy? In fact, it's the phrase, again, that folks, that, uh, uh, that was used during World War II, if you repeat a lie loud enough, long enough, and often enough, the people will believe it. Why in the world could it get to the point where the, Jew the German people could actually pass a law that actually said the Jewish people were not a people? Because the German educational system pushing evolution repeated the lie loud enough, long enough, and often enough, and the people began to believe it. That somehow the Jewish people were not a people, they were less than people, they were close to pure ape. So when it came time to pass that law, it passed. Folks, I'm telling you, it's the same thing that's being done today. I truly believe, we said this before, that most people, even in our world today, still believe in evolution because they have the media and the educational system and they're doing what Hitler did. They're repeating through those outlets a lie called evolution, loud enough, long enough, often enough. They're suppressing you and I getting our information out. And so people believe it, okay? But that's not all. We're gonna see that the second reason why natural selection is a lie is because the examples don't work. Okay, it's not just that the belief system, the whole premise of it doesn't work. When you slow down, take a look at it, it doesn't work. But their so-called best examples that they say, oh no, we know it works, okay, because of these examples of natural selection. Bunch of baloney. Uh, once again, turn to somebody, let's get into the mood for this round. Liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> Man, it's so bankrupt, folks. And of course, it starts off with the finches, Darwin's finches. You guys remember that in school? Oh, this is natural selection, right? Well, Darwin, he made a five-year voyage on the HMS Beagle. He visited the Galapagos Islands, and it was here that he found a group of birds called finches, okay, as you can see there. And he noticed that there are about 13 varieties of these birds. And since they had different sizes and different beaks, uh, Darwin assumed that uh, each finch was a different kind of bird. Now, according to evolution, if he saw one turn into a banana or a tomato plant or a whale, uh, then that would be evolution. But I'm sorry, Charlie, uh, you stand back, they got 13 different colors and variations and beak sizes, it's still a bird. Okay, that's not evolution. All right, and, and then they went on to say, well, this is proof. This is proof for uh, his theory of evolution had occurred by these finches, okay? Uh, but the only thing it did show is you have variations within a certain kind. Back to the cat, the bird, the dog, different colors, different sizes, so what? It's still a cat, it's still a bird, it's still a dog. That's all he did. There was no new genetic information added to these birds causing uh, new things to appear on the bird. Now, if it were to be evolution, then if he witnessed this, it would be evolution. If he saw these 13 different uh, kinds of birds or, or species of birds, okay, and if he saw one of them had a dog leg, a leg of a dog growing out the side of his neck, that's evolution. All right? If he saw one of those birds all of a sudden was, had evolved a turtle shell, 
then you're seeing evolution in action. That's not what he saw. It's still a bird with bird parts. Different sizes, different colors. It's still a bird. That's not evolution. When all was said and done, every single one of those birds was still a bird. It didn't turn into a chicken, a weasel, or a spider. Okay? And even this molecular biologist admits it and admits that they're duping people in the textbook with this lie. Let's take a look. In 1994, journalist Jonathan Weiner published The Beak of the Finch, a book about research into finches on the Galapagos Islands. It won the Pulitzer Prize. Weiner argued that finches represent the best and most detailed demonstration to date of the power of Darwin's process of natural selection. Similar claims are made in many biology textbooks. A severe drought could cause many of the finches to die and leave only those with larger beaks. So in the following generation, the average beak size was increased. And some textbooks extrapolate this over 200 years or so and say that a few of these events strung together could transform these finches into a new species by making their beaks larger. What the books fail to mention is that as soon as the rains came back, the average beak size returned to normal. There was no net evolution. What we're really seeing is just one species oscillating back and forth with no real evolutionary change. So the evidence is exaggerated to make it appear to support Darwin's theory in a way that it really doesn't. So what do you say? I'll, I'll translate that for you. They're lying in the textbook. They're lying. It's not evolution, okay? It's a lie. And again, when all was said and done, every single one of those birds was still a bird. Not a chicken, not a weasel, not a spider. Okay? It's still, just because the beak got bigger, first of all, it returned back to normal, it's still a bird. That's not evolution. Now, another big example that they use, even in textbooks today, supposedly natural selection in action, is flies and bacteria, okay? And they say, well, hey, since flies and bacteria have become resistant, like to DDT or antibiotics, okay? This is proof of natural selection, uh, evolution in action. Uh, really? Uh, I don't think so. No new information is being added, and it's still a variation of the same kind of creature. When all was said and done, the bacteria stayed bacteria, the flies remained flies. They didn't turn into a cucumber, a cat, or a cow. And how many guys are glad that flies never turn into cows? You need a really big umbrella. If they did, really. Made of concrete. Okay, excuse me? Okay, and again, even this molecular biologist admits this, folks. This is not evolution. Let's take a look. Is natural selection the same thing as evolution? One of the most used and abused examples of evolution in action, which is really natural selection in action, is the development of antibiotic resistance in bacteria. See, when you have a bacterial infection and you take an antibiotic, you expect it to kill the bacteria. But sometimes the bacteria have a mutation in them that has allowed them to um, not be killed by the antibiotic. And so they survive better or select it for in that particular environment because of that mutation. However, they have to pay a price for that mutation. And if the environment changes, say for example the antibiotic is removed, they're not considered as fit and they're less likely to survive. So what have we really observed here? Well, first of all, bacteria remain bacteria, it's non-directional, and genetic information has been lost as a result of this process. So uh, even if you give natural selection long periods of time, such as millions of years, it simply can't do what evolution requires of it, which is to be, move in a certain direction and to add genetic information. In other words, it can't work. It doesn't work. There's no new genetic information being added, it still ends up being the same 
kind of creature, okay? Uh, that's even if it could work. But again, bacteria stayed bacteria, flies stayed flies, didn't turn into a cucumber cat or a cow. Nothing was gained, okay? But now, this is one of the big ones. They still have this in textbooks today, and this is one of the biggest lies. The biggest lies they used to supposedly prove uh, natural selection in action. It's called the peppered moth, okay? And that's uh, one of the biggest proofs that they have out there, okay? And it's a species of moth in England with both light and dark colored varieties, as you can see there. The lighter one on top, obviously the darker one on bottom. Now, supposedly the light colored moths, as you can see at the top there, uh, started out being the dominant ones. But due to pollution, the black ones became dominant. As you can see down there towards the bottom, that's actually a black one. But he's kind of camouflaged, okay? Because the pollution in England there with the Industrial Revolution, the soot got on the trees, and it hid the black ones, right? And made the white ones pop out, okay? And because they were camouflaged by the black suit, the black ones didn't get eaten. So this caused the birds to eat the light-colored ones, right? Well, that's how it's supposed to go. Anyway, but years later, when the anti-pollution laws were enforced, the black ones lost their camouflage, which caused the light ones to become dominant again because the pollution's now off the trees, the black suit, supposedly. And so now the light ones are camouflaged. Do you see how it's supposed to work? Well, okay. Well, it was made up by this guy, H.B. Kettlewell, and he came up with this theory. And at first, on paper anyway, his experiments seemed kind of straightforward, okay? In fact, he even took, quote, photographs of the light and dark moths resting on tree trunks during the daytime and uh, birds eating the less camouflaged ones. So, oh, it's got to be true. He's got photographs. And he described it as, quote, the most striking evolutionary change ever actually witnessed in an organism. This is it. Or was it? How many guys realize that it's going to be a lie? Anybody seen a track record? Yeah, it was a big fat lie. It's a hoax. First of all, after 25 years, how would you like to have this job? After 25 years, only two moths were seen in their natural habitat. Nobody paid for that, okay? And then it was discovered that pepper moths don't even rest on tree trunks in the daytime like the pictures showed, liar. Instead, they turn out to be night flyers and they hide under the leaves. Well, how do you get the pictures? Not making this up, folks, you can check this out. To get the desired pictures, Kettlewell and others trapped the moths raised them in a laboratory, took some dead ones and some live ones, and either pinned or glued them on the trees. Okay, it's common knowledge now, it's out. But they still use them in textbooks. In fact, some of the live ones were so sluggish, they had to warm them up on the hood of their car to liven them up so they can get the birds to eat them. Okay, the complete hoax, okay? And because of this obvious fraud, this is in their own camp. Evolutionist Jerry Coyne, he said this about when the lie came out about the peppered moth. He says, quote, my own reaction resembles the dismay of my discovery at the age of six that it was my father and not Santa who brought the uh, presents on Christmas Eve. It's a serious, serious letdown is what he was saying. Yet today, writers and publishers still use today. Our kids are being brainwashed today with this lie and with their supposed pictures uh, as evidence for evolution. But here's the point. Even if the story was true, and it's not, but even if it was true, it's still not evolution, right? No matter what color it is, the moth is still a moth. It didn't turn into a moose, a man, or not even a mouse. It doesn't work. It's a bunch of lies, okay? So how many guys would say that starting on this track record that, again, if all you have is lies to support your theory, time to get a new theory, right? And we're the ones who are being unscientific? I don't think so, okay? Now, the third one that we're going to take a look at and why we know natural selection is a lie is because, once again, the quotes don't even work, Okay? And hopefully you guys are starting to see a pattern here, and I love doing this as often as I can, because at least there's a few in their own camp of the evolutionists, when they're backed in the corner, so to speak, with, their, uh, with the facts, that they admit 
uh, that this stuff is a bunch of baloney, okay? And that's exactly what we see and have been seen. And so how many guys would say that there's probably going to be a few evolutionists who admit that this natural selection is also a bunch of baloney? Hey, you are discerning Christians because that's exactly what we see. Let's take a look at some of those quotes. Uh, G. Simpson, the, the major features of evolution, here's what he said about natural selection. He said, it might be argued that the theory of natural selection is quite what? Unsubstantiated. You can't prove it. Then why do you teach it? As fact. Right? It's crazy. In the Encyclopedia Britannica, even has this quote. Quoting a philosopher, Carl Himmel, quote, the theory of natural selection is not really an explanation of organic evolution at all. Not even a bad one. <laughs> That's in the Encyclopedia of Britannica. But you still teach kids that today? And lead them away from God? Horrible, folks. Tom Bethel and Darwin's mistake, he wrote this in Harper Magazine, folks. He said, quote, Darwin made a mistake sufficiently serious to undermine his theory. One organism may indeed be fitter than another... But this, of course, is not something which helps create the organism. It is clear, I think, that there was something very, very wrong with such an idea. As I see to it, the conclusion is pretty staggering. Quote, Darwin's theory, I believe, is on the verge of collapse. At least when you examine the evidence. If they'll even let you. Absolutely, Tom, it's a bunch of baloney. Charles Darwin even said this, folks. Later, uh, he said this in The Descent of Man. He said, I admit that in the earlier editions of the uh, origin of species, I probably attributed too much to the action of natural descent of the survival of the fittest. Can I translate that for you? I sure wish I wouldn't have put that in there. <laughs> Oops, right? Even Charles Darwin admits, gosh, I don't know if this thing even really worked. So if you're saying that basically even the founder of evolution, and certainly evolutionists themselves are saying this is a bunch of baloney, how many guys would say it's probably a bunch of baloney? Now, is that because we're being unscientific, anti-intellectual? No, we're dealing with the fact, okay, once again. But as we close, I want to uh, share this with you. Um, the fourth reason why we know it doesn't work, uh, and it's a lie, and it's a deadly one at that, is because I want to end kind of where we started, and that's because the belief doesn't work, okay? You need to understand, folks, what you believe determines how you behave, okay? And in order for them to get you and I to surrender our freedoms, you see, our founding father says that we are endowed with our rights by our creator. But if you do away with the Judeo-Christian ethic, if you do away with God in the minds of the people, then you're left with what Hitler did. That it is the strongest, the fittest, who gets to govern you, who gets to tell you what to do. Evolution is needed even to fulfill this last day society of the Antichrist kingdom. The genocide, uh, all the horrible atrocities that we're seeing today is because they've taken away the Judeo-Christian ethic, replaced it with a lie called evolution, and it's used for justification for these things. And I just want to nail it in the coffin again and take a look that, folks, this really was the belief system that Hitler did to do what he did, the horrible atrocities, and they're being repeated today. Okay, as you can see here. Now, first of all, you can see he really liked watermelon, as you can see there. And you just have to let that roll for a little bit. Okay, but obviously, let's get serious. Okay, uh, R. Milner in the Encyclopedia of Evolution. The Encyclopedia of what? Listen to what they say. See, so you think, oh, oh, you Christians, of course you're going to say evolution is evil and, and somehow Hitler was involved in that. That's a lie. No, it's not. Watch this. Uh, during the 1930s, Adolf Hitler believed he was carrying what forward? Darwinism. Where did he get this idea that he could slaughter people? Who in the world do you think you are? Darwinism. Evolution, folks, it's deadly. Not only a lie, 
It's deadly. Which, uh, with this doctrine that undesirable individuals and inferior races must be eliminated. It comes from evolution. Okay? The position in Germany was uh, that man must conform to nature's processes no matter how ruthless. The what? Natural selection. The fittest must never stand in the way of the law of evolutionary process. In its extreme form, that social view was used in Nazi Germany to justify what? Sterilization, the mass murder of the unfit, incompetent, and inferior races. God says, according to his word, he is the creator. He is the one who gets to do what he wants with life, not man. But you take away God from the equation, then who gets to determine who's unfit, who's incompetent, who's inferior, and who gets to live and who doesn't? Man. Man whoever the strongest, the fittest is. This is what evolution produces, folks. It produced a Hitler. It's going to produce an Antichrist. Okay, and we're seeing that today. And that's why it's being pushed. Robert Clark, he wrote in Darwin Before and After, said, quote, one need not read far in Hitler's Mein Kampf, his book, remember that? To find that, quote, what influenced him? Evolution influenced him and his views on the master race, genocide, human breeding experiments, etc. Well, if you're just a big bag of chemicals and there is no God and we're uh, trying to evolve into a higher, better species, uh, and I'm stronger than you are, then I could use you as an experiment to help mankind evolve. And if we're all just a bag of chemicals, then I could do whatever I want with you. And there is no God, I'm not accountable to anybody. Where does that mindset, as crazy as it is, come from? Evolution. And it's a lie. It's dangerous, folks. Edward uh, Simon, he, in another side of the evolution problem, said, I cannot deny that the theory of evolution and the what? atheism it engendered led to the moral a climate that made a holocaust possible right there is no god do whatever you want nobody you have to answer to it's a lie and hitler himself said this i regard christianity as the most fatal seductive lie that ever existed he who would live must fight he who does not wish to fight in this world where permanent struggle is the law of life has not the right to exist Okay, unless you think there's any doubt that evolution empowered him, folks, listen to this molecular biologist. Again, she's going to admit, yes, absolutely, this is what Hitler used for justification, but it's being used against you and I today. Let's take a look at that. It seems to me that you can draw pretty much of a straight line from Darwinian evolution to social Darwinianism. I mean, if it's survival of the fittest and let's get rid of the weakest members of our society, makes absolutely logical sense if you believe in Darwinianism. This is how all of life develops. This is how we get increasingly complex life forms. So it seems like you can draw almost a straight line between Charles Darwin, uh, Margaret Sanger, eugenics movement, and Adolf Hitler. In other words, you've got pretty much a broken line from the theory of evolution to Hitler's Germany. Is that an over-exaggeration? No, it's not. It's absolutely. And that's one of the things that I will show in the presentation that I'll be doing for the Life Series to sort of show that um, building, so to speak, from Charles Darwin to Francis Galton to Margaret Sanger to Nazi Germany and all those others um, in this one big continuum, so to speak. One thing leads to another. When we start compromising on the Bible in one part, like with the ideas of evolution, it's just a, another step to compromise on, on other parts like the sanctity of life. So in other words, once you compromise on the scripture, once you start promoting evolution, just like with Hitler, you have the justification to do all kinds of evil. As crazy it is, 20 years after World War II, evolution was put into our school system on a massive scale 
At the same time, 1963-ish, Bible and prayer was taken out, and it's been taught as the major doctrine today. You can't teach anything to the contrary. And is it really by chance that ever since then we have seen an absolute utter moral decay in our country and an absolute insane behavior in the governments and the people elected officials in our country? No, because just like with Hitler, as they admit, what you believe determines how you behave. And if you want to believe in a lie that there is no God, you're going to say, I am God. Whoever's got the most power, the most money, and the most weaponry. And then you will become a tyrant again, just like with Hitler. And folks, I'm telling you, it's being repeated today. And it would be one thing if we were forced to go that direction because of all the scientific hard data. But it's all a lie. Isn't that amazing? But you might be thinking, well, okay, so that natural selection is a bunch of baloney. But what about some of the other ones that they say out there, Tommy, like mutations? We all know mutations produce evolution or that embryology thing. What about that? Well, thanks for asking, Reed. I'm glad you're here tonight to keep me on the ball. Uh, folks, we'll get to that, Lord willing, uh, next week. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. 
And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pull the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the ten commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, 
God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask Him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in His work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.